Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're looking at another one-sided Manchester derby. And we'll be also taking a look at Liverpool and Tottenham as we play a fun game called Can They Really Win the Premier League title? We'll also be discussing Dominic Calvert-Lewin and having what will hopefully be a fun debate around Jude Bellingham. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got one of my colleagues from the editing desk, James Restall, who is the deputy sports editor and also, like me, happens to support a team in League One, Blayton Orient in this, in this case, not mm. Lincoln City. So bring a nice balanced view to the game today. <laughs> uh, we've also got one of the finest football writers in all the land, Alison Rudd. And are you ready for this one? A former footballer who, despite playing more than 300 games across 13 seasons as a mean and rough and tough defender, was only booked 34 times. Which goes to show he's a massive softy. <laughs> How many reds? I did not see that coming. Gregor Robertson, welcome back to the game podcast. Thanks, Tom. That was really insightful. It, it, I did, and I went through your soccer base and counted thirty-four yellows apparently. Wow. So unless it's not up to date and it's actually like nine, <laughs> ninety-four. But How yeah, many reds. That's what I'm about. I think it was three. Three. I remember a couple anyway. Yeah, a couple of straight reds. One, one second booking. What second booking was for uh, not taking a throw in quick enough? Tough to take. Really, really bad way oh, to see red. <laughs> and they say it's this season they're clamping down on time. I know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Tough to take. Tough to take. Well, another thing that was tough to take is Manchester United fans this weekend and another dismal, dismal display in the Manchester derby. Paul Hurst has written on the Times website this morning Who fit and hope Manchester United are lacking a clear identity and coherent plan? And as we're discussing things on the editing desk, James, I just rang Paul, didn't I, before we came down to do this show? And he answered the phone and said, in his northern droll, Mate, I'm not analysing Man United again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. And it's true. The poor guy, he's been our Manchester correspondent for a long time and he has to deal with me and James ringing him after every weekend saying... How to fix Man United. <laughs> what the hell can you say about Manchester United? Anyway, like the genius editor I am, I managed to get an idea out of him, which you can read later on the Times website. But for now, with that in mind, we've got another fun game. This episode's full of fun games. <laughs> I've got another fun game. Has anyone got anything positive to say about Manchester United? Anyone? Yeah, plan A worked for about 10 minutes. That's something, isn't it? There you it? go, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Anyone Onana else? was good. Onana was good. But he's also bad. Mm, no. it, was, it, it was a mixed performance, I would say. I mean, he pulled off some great saves. So He also parried to a man in blue, which you're not supposed to do. Yeah, that was unfortunate. And he slipped and let okay, it I'll try it. I'll try it. Onana was good. Plan A worked for 10 minutes. Yeah, Jane. there's nothing wrong. I mean, you know, let's just bury this one. Uh, long ball football doesn't necessarily have to be uh, pilloried. Uh, if you've got someone, you've paid a lot of money for someone who can distribute well, as in Onana, use him to pinpoint those long diagonal balls out Uh that, that that can be an incredibly effective tool, especially against City, because you're bypassing a lot of their their good players. So why not do it? And it did it did work for ten or fifteen minutes, and it they were up for it. And for as long as you've got a keeper that can see how players are running and what to do, and is prepared to switch it occasionally, great. But as soon as as soon as City was switched on to that, I I I genuinely am at a loss as to what plan. B was supposed to be, and I, I also also feel that Ten Hag admitted that because he kept pointing out how the plan was working, and he he felt quite positive about what they had been doing at the start. But 
I, in what way he thinks that's acceptable management to think that your initial plan worked for a bit but you didn't know how to cope and it was thwarted is is quite peculiar. We'll go on to plan B in a minute because I think it's a good talking point particularly around the substitution at half time but another kind of defence almost if you like of Manchester United a very quick one and one word answer it can be penalty or no penalty Gregor former defender you're not having that are you? I mean it was soft but it, he held on for to him for long enough to, for it to be given particularly when nowadays you look back at it on a slow slow motion replay so I, it was soft but it's so, soft easily, given, penalty for easily you, given, Alison. Yeah. cleverly won not a penalty cleverly won not a penalty interesting James penalty in the modern game and well won by Rodri see this is why we're a sophisticated football <laughs> podcast you see every one word answer is like 10 with a load of caveats but that's what that's what you join the game podcast for listeners um so to come back to Alison's point about that plan B because I think that was a really interesting moment in the game as you say there was the, you know you judge things off Roy Keane's analysis don't you at half time and he's like oh it's not bad kind of said exactly what you said I, did, I didn't I didn't listen to the half time no but there's there's um, there's nothing wrong with that because it makes a good point that plan A was kind of working and there was a soft penalty and then this substitution happens where Amrabat goes off McTominay goes deeper and Mason Mount comes on and uh, James, it wasn't the most illuminating second half performance from Mason Mount, was it? No. Well, one of the highlights of yesterday afternoon was um, while while we were editing the game, um, Tom sending me a WhatsApp, and I think what was it? I think you said Mason Mount's touch map will be good gear. Was, good gear, was yeah. what you said. <laughs> and um, and uh, and you know, lo and behold, we looked it up, and at that point, I think he'd had about eight or nine touches of the ball. Went on to have fourteen touches in the. Uh, in the whole of the second half, um, none of them anywhere near Manchester City's penalty area. Um, very much peripheral out towards the wings as well. Um, and if you're bringing on a player like that to try and impose a bit of control on the game and try and get a foothold in the game, it c- clearly didn't work. Mm, it was also the problem that, you know, Gregor, he's been brilliant lately, but Scott McTominay, everyone's favourite Scottish superstar, all action midfielder, he's been better by being pushed further up the pitch, almost as like sort of like a battering ram pressing machine type thing to try and win the ball back you then put him into a role which Ten Hag has already discarded for him i.e. the deep lying playmaker role that that is a worry isn't it there's something we were talking about on Thursday show Johnny and Martin were highlighting Ten Hag's tactical or lack of tactical acumen really is that not a worry when he's making those decisions and they look so obviously wrong yeah, I mean, we spoke about it as well how he's just constantly trying to find the right balance in midfield, and really doesn't have doesn't have the personnel with the right sort of makeup to to do so. Really, if Casemiro was when Casemiro was on song last season, he changed everything, but he's not been this season. Mm. Um, and Amrabat, you know, has been pretty laboured in the last couple of games. He's kind of you know does a lot of. <laughs> Not, not not labour. He runs around a lot, but just kind of looks like he's been exposed. Uh, mm. It's all about finding the right balance in midfield. I I still have sympathy for Ten Hag. I know everyone now is saying is like the narrative shifting. It's about you know he's had he's had this he's had two years. He spent four hundred million quid. You know these are valid arguments. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say mm. you know fair enough. Mm. But I stand by the fact that the dysfunction at Manchester United, no one would ever get on top of. I don't think anyone is going to get on top of the dysfunction at Manchester United Well, they're owned by the I, Blazers. I agree with you on that point, but that doesn't negate making a tactical decision like the one he made. Well, it does if you so don't have the players. Like you can, uh, you can, I can understand why you would throw, put a Mason Mount because you think he's more attack-minded, he's got a bit of craft and he can, might be able to you know, finally you know, ignite where, his career. Where would he have seen evidence of that? Well, Mount has been at Man United. Well, he's we been know very th- underwhelming. We know that, yeah, but we know that also they signed him for a reason, and that he's been a very good player in the past for Chelsea. So, yeah, but it's but not. It's that is slightly deluded to think you can. You're not starting him because he's not effective. You bring him on at half time, he's going to suddenly change and not be peripheral. That's been the watchword, I think, of of Mason Mount's Man United career. He's, he's been enabled to not be peripheral and that was always the worry when they signed him we said on this podcast where will he play him how will he use him in what way is this a great move for Mason Mount it's and, not been a great and move and that was another me. point of you know James highlighting that pitch map is that the other thing was that the, the touches were all over the pitch weren't yeah. they they were they were in the central area and out wide for a bit mm. it was yeah it was it was it, it didn't look like there was any kind of real design for how he should 
be playing. I mean, Southgate for England has used him often as a kind of a a, a, a weapon for pressing um, and to try and win the ball back high up the pitch um, because he he believes that um, he is one of the most kind of intelligent players among the England group in terms of taking on information and executing a tactical plan. Um, he sort of started the, the. I think. I think he was instrumental in one of the one of the first goals England scored at the World Cup against Iran. I think it might be the Bellingham goal. He does a brilliant little off the ball movement and just kept doing that all game um, to create chances for England. And clearly, this that performance didn't look like a player who was executing a, a clear tactical plan at all from someone who we know who can do that. Um, the other thing that really troubled me yesterday watching United it's not just the fact that the in-game changes didn't work it was just how badly they were doing the basics I mean you know we um, Alison you've got the the supplement in front of you there the thing that we highlighted on our front cover this morning was the fact that you have nine Man United players in the box and Haaland with the entire half of a penalty Mm -hmm. area of space to attack a ball when only you know, only only a few minutes before in the first half, they'd had exactly that chance that Onana had pulled off a great save to deny him from exactly the same header, um, and that's what that I think is the most worrying thing is the fact that, and we've seen this time and again with Man United managers um, and Man United teams, it's like the, they're not even doing the nuts and bolts well, and I don't know whether that's a that you know that that can't just be endemic and cultural of the club. That has to be ultimately a manager. Doing, getting players to do the basics in training. I just don't think that they're like they're committing fully to en- to any sort of mm. game plan because you know although it was clear that they wanted to they wanted to sort of bypass City's press, they wanted to play forward, be pretty direct. Mm. They're you know they're playing at home. They're Manchester United. They're, they're, there's an aspect of all of that that feels like it shouldn't be happening. Mm. Uh, you know, like if, I'm sure we all watched uh, Gary O'Neill's sort of masterclass on Monday Night Football, like how how to beat Pep. I mean, Man United could never do what Wolves did. You know, they basically said to Craig Dawson, "You watch Haaland. Mm. We'll play. We'll close the space in the penalty box. We'll play three at the back, almost five. We'll sit two midfielders right in front of them. We're playing really deep, and then we spring forward." Man United ca- can't do that against Man against City at home. They, ca- they can't do politically. They can't. They can't do that. Mm. They cannot do that. So they've done what, it before, though. Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, not mm. not to not that to that extent. But look. It, like there's there's been some interesting quotes by Ten Hag in sort of different uh, outlets after since this game, basically saying that you know he said he was asked when when are Man United going to play like the same sort of football that you you played at Ajax, and he said never because the Ajax have a sort of clearly defined culture, and as, although you know it's it's gone to, it's gone to the mm-hmm. bots it's mm-hmm. gone to the wall since he left, but this is the way Ajax play. We had the players to do that. I don't have that here. We're playing direct because I have the players to play direct, and that's the truth. Like mm. although he's tried to remedy some of these things with a few mm. signings, and yes, you could say he's had un, like more influence over the signings than a manager should. That's because Man United are so dysfunctional. He has, you know, <laughs> if he wants to improve the team, he's not getting much help to do it. So he's probably having more in- input and influence on on the signings than he should, and they haven't worked. But I don't think it's all his fault. I still do. I still maintain that. Yes, we need to see more. We need to see it quite quickly because. Ultimately, faith is draining very, very quickly in, in Eric Ten Hag. Now, he needs to get results. That's he'll know that himself. But it's not all his fault. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about results. Looking at their next six matches, they've got Newcastle in the um, EFL Cup uh, round of sixteen this week. Then the the league games they've got in the next six: Fulham, Luton, and Everton. And sandwiched around those is Copenhagen and Galatasaray in the Champions League. If after those games they're potentially out of two cup competitions. And they've not necessarily picked up any points. You're starting. That's when pesky editors like me and James starting to ramp up the narrative that this could be the end for him. Alison, do you think, because of all the things Greg has outlined and the you know situation off the pitch, that he'll actually get more time than perhaps the pesky editors imagine they, that he might? Well, it depends on the Ratcliffe thing, doesn't it? Mm. it depends slightly on what goes on in. in the, the partial takeover and who is in control of footballing matters, how long all that takes, how long it takes for there to be an influence on the pitch. Some people, when there's a change at the top, 
the very top, you um, you get statement sackings and statement appointments. I right now I can't see a leading manager in world football wanting to go to Old Trafford. It's you know you might want to be the one after the one that when Ten Hag is sat, but not you wouldn't want to inherit what is there. I what baffles me most about him. And it's, it was interesting what you were saying, Gregor, about the pressure ramping up, but and the, the 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 need to try and play football and not be negative and accept that you're the underdog at home against Manchester City. Maybe this is why I'm not a manager, but it would seem to me, if you if you want to please the people, you have one grown up on the pitch, one reliable creative player in Christian Eriksen. Why don't you build the team around him and give him protection so that he can. He can play the lovely passes to young players who have pace, and you've bought a big, big, big striker who's, who's, who's you know, he, he looks, you know, Rasmus looks like he could, he could with the right service be, be reliable. Why not try and get those connections going? I, it just seems to me he's hamstringing Christian Eriksen a lot because you know he's getting on a bit. He needs protection, but he's still got the football brain and the quality, and that way you you please the fans and you possibly get a result mm, that's an interesting tactical point you mentioned at the start of that um discussion about jim ratcliffe james you've been working with matt dickinson on a couple of pieces for the mm. times recently give the listeners a sense of what where the where that whole storyline is at it's still they're still in negotiations um and i mean they're at a very advanced stage um and i think it is a it's more of a matter of of, of when rather than if this happens uh, and we know that he would want to take control of the football operations as Alison mentioned as, as a result of, of, of buying 25% um, of the club and, and you think that that would also that would involve if it's if it's concluded in the coming weeks um, you'd think that would in, that would include looking at January and looking at and drawing up lists for recruitment and and also looking at changing some of the football personnel um, I think they are broadly supportive of, of Ten Hag and or, or, or at least they were when the the intro. I mean, it feels like this saga's been dragging on for months, doesn't it? But it it does feel you know there 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 is a support there for Ten Hag, but um, it, it's it's it feels a bit sort of cliched and old fashioned. But at some point, if they keep losing, the the manager loses the dressing room, and then it's almost inevitable that a change has to be made. So um, I think in the given given how long this takeover process or partial takeover process has been dragging on. I do think those those next six matches that you you mentioned, Tom, are, are going to be hugely crucial as to as to then what happens in the new year. See, I told you, pesky editors already lining up the narrative. James <laughs> is agreeing with me. Uh, Manchester City then, um, very coming very close to just glossing over a Manchester derby win at Old Trafford <laughs> because it's very easy to. They were they were in about what first gear, second gear for most of yeah. that game. Uh, my only question is Erling Haaland back in the goals. Uh, not not quite set the set the world alight like he did last season. Um, my only question is, should he win the Ballon d'Or? Obviously, that's happening tonight. Everyone imagining that Lionel Messi will win it. By the time you're listening to this podcast, we might already know who's won it. Um, again, speaking to Paul Hurst this morning just before the show, he was saying how Manchester City players are going out um, to the awards night. Does anyone think Haaland should beat Messi, Gregor? Um, it was, you know. Unprecedented his, his, his goal scoring feats last season, but I think there's just so much sort of <laughs> weight of uh, you know adoration for Lionel Messi that, and after winning the World Cup, that it's, it's inevitable that he's going to win it. So, you know, should he? Probably, yeah, mm. but he won't. Al- Alison, I can't stand the Ballon d'Or. What a nonsense! <laughs> but but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can have it if you want. You can have it. If you want. <laughs> Great, James. Uh, I just as as my, my it's a head and a heart thing here because in any other season you have a player scoring and breaking records like Haaland did last season in the Premier League and kind of redefining in modern English football what it means to be a, a centre forward um, in terms of the numbers he was getting. The fact that they won the treble as well and, and a first Champions League for that football club. It would in any other year you'd say that yeah that that's your Ballon d'Or all day long, um, but I just can't ignore the romance of, of of what Messi did at the World Cup and the and I mean it was the greatest World Cup final, um, and uh, to kind of if you know we're all about storylines aren't we in this business and and to have that to have a career capped by you know the one that's always eluded him 
Um, I, I just you, you you kind of have to give it to him. I think that's a better argument than he can have it if he wants. So we'll leave <laughs> it. <laughs> we will uh, leave it there, James. Three hundred words, please, Alison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on, try and cheer Alison Rudd up after talking about her least favourite subject. We'll talk about one of her more favourite ones. Not the most favourite, but one of them. Tottenham Hotspurs, it seems. Uh, coming to the favourite. Yeah, we're coming, we're coming there. We're coming there. Uh, but Tottenham Hotspur are unrecognisable under Ange Postacoglu. Arrogant and adaptable, Spurs have ditched the flimsiness that was previously synonymous with them as the Australian head coach and James Madison work magic. That is the headline and Stanford of Alison Rudd's piece that you can read on the Times website now. And though, and so, that leads me on to my first. Is it my first, third, maybe ninth game of this podcast so far? Can they actually win the Premier League, Alison? You seem to think that they can. No, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I mean, I was asked to write the piece you refer to because I, I was at, I was covering the game for the Times uh, when they were at home against Fulham, and then I went to Crystal Palace on Friday night. So. I had a sort of heady dose of Spursiness and was able to reflect on it. What they've got going for them is in, in neither game were they exceptionally good, but they won. And the spooky bit was at no point did I think they wouldn't win, which is what is partially what you need to win the title, that sense of entitlement and that it's everything will be OK. Uh, it is. It is... I've been writing about football for 30 years and it is rather strange to be in the presence of a Spurs team where they have this um, joyful arrogance and it's, 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 it's really odd. They, 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 they can play quite... They were quite poor in the first half against Crystal Palace. Palace were the better team and they were well organised and they created some chances. They've got an excellent keeper in Vicario, so you think, oh, well, if, if people do do play well, he's great. Two excellent centre-backs, athletic, big, strong. That's, that sort of, that sort of, so that, that, that triangle sets the tone that they're, um, they're a serious footballing team. You know, they're going to get stuck in. And Ange Postacoglu said on Friday night, he gives the players the tools and he lets them work out the puzzle on the day or the night or whatever. And so you get quite a lot of flexibility with them as well. Spurs of old would stick to the plan and try and play attractive football all the time. And I know everyone thought, oh, Ange Postacoglu, aren't we lucky he plays chaotic football, attractive football? It's not always like that. He he lets the players not do that. So you you had them being really cautious, pass back, pass back, pass back. It went on and on. It was really boring. But the point was they were just waiting to see how the patterns would emerge for them to do something flash, which they did. And that gave them the second goal and allowed them to win. Uh, it's it's there so I like the what's what's possible the reason it's I'm saying it's not impossible they could win the title is that they have they have that flexibility which we've just spoken about Manchester United not having flexibility they have tactical flexibility and this this intangible thing which is this belief so they the players go to the fans before kickoff I mean they delay kickoff by doing that they go to the fans en masse applaud the fans so the fans gush constantly they never used to they never used to they used to be distracted by the ownership you know anti-Levite chants they don't do that they give the team full support they go to the fans after the final whistle and that they soak it all up they've got they've got this I mean I don't think in the past there have been many Spurs managers who would have allowed James Madison to be James Madison. James Madison is taking on the mantle of I'm now the embodiment of Spurs as a club and their philosophy and what you see in me is is the future and he he is under he had a poor first half. He was dispossessed, he made some stupid passing, he put a relatively simple chance miles over the bar doesn't deter him at all you know he kept playing like he was he was about to win the ballon d'or you know he and that spreads through the team this sense of confidence it doesn't matter what goes wrong we'll push it right it, there's this sort of surge of it will it will happen so when you're writing a match report in the evening you have to for the first edition for the paper that goes out to far-flung places you know I'm having to write stuff at half time and three-quarter time through the game and you have to pick up a feel for even so. Even though Palace were playing well, my feeling was, 
I know Spurs are going to win this. Mm. And that's why mm. I'm saying it's not impossible because they will come up, up against, they've got a, a fairly hard run coming up. But I feel like they they will believe, they will believe they can win. And that if you, if you genuinely feel that, you have a chance in this division. James, you were the editor who will have discussed that piece with mm. Alison. P- picking up some of the themes that she mentioned there in terms of, you know, that, certainty almost that mm. we've never had from Tottenham before mm. is that Ange Postacoglu is that a slight freedom of maybe dare I say it not having a sole superstar focal point like Harry Kane um, I think that would be doing a great disservice to, to Hyungmin Son who has been amazing this season um, and and I think I think there's lots of there's lots of factors that have all kind of conspired to make this start of the season happen happy uh, happen for Tottenham sorry the 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 first being like undoubtedly they've had a, a, one of the kinder starts to the season fixtures wise um, that's not to say they 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 then go and win all those games um there was a huge slice of luck in the um I feel a little bit I've started, I've started watching strictly come dancing for the first time ever and I now feel like Craig Revel Horwood where he does all the negative bits <laughs> and then goes but it's brilliant darling you know that's how I feel at the moment with Tottenham they've that like the, they had a huge slice of luck with the the VAR um mess up at, in, in the Liverpool game that 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 was if if Liverpool had scored that goal then who knows what could have happened um they, but 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 at the same time, uh, I was talking to um, our colleague Glenn, who works, um, who, who's one of our production editors, big Tottenham fan, and um, we had a graphic in yesterday, um, a graphic with Alison's piece online now, which shows the number of points Tottenham have won after ten games of each season, and the second highest points tally was last season, funnily enough, under Antonio Conte, a season that has that that we we we, gen- we we now come to see as the nadir of modern Tottenham. Isn't it only three that three bind? Uh, only three behind, yeah, and I and I and I and I was I went to Glenn and said and said, did we really think they were that good at the start of last season? I don't really remember this. And he said he said no. He said I would come away from games thinking, I can't believe we've won that. I can't believe we've got away with that. Whereas this time the 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 whole vibe has changed. It's now one of there is almost a certainty that they'll find a way to win. And I, that's all Ange. That's all the best thing he the best thing he's done I think is to allow the fans to enjoy themselves simply and to and to give them a that they don't feel any guilt about feeling enjoyment in what they're watching and having optimism. So much of football now is kind of, you know, Eddie Howe all of last season was saying was saying about Newcastle, oh, let's not get carried away. Let's not talk about the Champions League. You know, it's, it's when managers, I hate it when managers sort of ban words and go, oh, no, we're not, we're not talking about the final or we're not talking about... You know, he's allowing them to dream. And I think c- combined with um, brilliant free spirits like Madison, who is who who reminds me a bit of Grealish at Villa in the kind of just let him go and play and we'll work around that and we'll get the best out of other players. I think... There's every reason why they can believe they can win the league. Uh, I, the only thing that the only thing the only the only reason why I think they won't is because um, we saw a, a, a probably a five and a half six out of ten Manchester City performance yesterday, absolutely blow away Manchester United. And I know we've talked about their deficiencies, but uh, Manchester City just have so many gears to go through, and we know how strong they can be in second half of the season. So, what's your score out of ten then? If you Craig Revel Horwood, come on, that's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> what for Tottenham? For Tottenham this yeah. season? Negative, negative, positive. Seven, eight, nine. nine. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Honestly, Ange Postecoglou must be absolutely loving this podcast. But it's interesting you mentioned. Fellow uh, Aussie, Craig. Uh, yes, as well. absolutely. Interesting you mentioned um, our colleague Glenn because I always treat him as the kind of Tottenhamometer, the barometer for how their season's mm, going. Tottenhamometer. Yeah, so maybe we should call it the Glennometer for the whole season. He'll because, be delighted with this. And he, he, do, he listens to the show as well, so he'd be delighted. But he is the kind of quintessential Tottenham fan. Lots of hope and lots of worry, lingering worries underneath. Mm, mm. And the conversation I had with him was that, yes, it's all brilliant, but we're two injuries away from disaster. Mm. But even that, my perceptions of, of, of their team and their strength is changing a little bit. Bentoncourt's come back. How good a player is Bentoncourt? Mm. I've forgotten about him, and mm. he's come back. So mm. I've got him and Hoiberg to, to come. You know, Basuma and Saar have been absolutely immense, and they're so important to the system. They're sort of the way they can cover ground, the way they can carry the ball, the way they can take it under pressure and do those little balls around the corner to mm. kind of break the lines. I'm not sure those other two players behind them can do that, but so I was thinking... You know, suddenly there's a little bit more strength there 
Because um, you were worried, you, it's something you'd mentioned before as well, wasn't it? The kind of strength in depth yeah, absolutely, of that squad. yeah. And I still do it at centre half because Romero and Van Van de Ven is being outstanding. Mm. It's like they're Alton's absolutely right. This kind of stature and athleticism of those guys, the presence as well. It's like the I, I don't know. Romero was Romero was just sort of taking more responsibility. He's not he's not got that reckless edge that we saw. It's like he must have been getting frustrated last year with everything. He's kind of managed to tone that down a bit, and he's he's a he's been immense and absolutely you know a real leader, um, and also you know the only it's, they've probably got the most settled eleven just now in the in the Premier League. You know Ben Davis had to come in for a doggy, and you know, Ben Davis is a capable player. He's he's intel, you know tactically intelligent too. He can step into midfield. He can can play in the back th- in a back three if he has to. Um, and then and then the only question mark I think is probably in, soon. Brennan Johnson will get into that starting eleven. Mm. I think probably Richarlison needs to do something, and you know. So I just there's a little bit more competition, and we've no. We keep saying it. They don't have European football either. They don't. They're already out the the first cup. Uh, they'd probably happily go out the second cup now if they could. <laughs> the FA Cup if they could uh, if they could maintain this sort of form. So I, I don't think they're going to win the league because of Manchester City. But can they? The, the question was, can they? No. Not will they. No, you don't think they can. No, because of Man- it's the same answer. Because of Manchester City. No, no, no. That's, but this I, is more of a dreamer's question, isn't it? Like, can they? Alison yeah. said they can. They won't. I, I, I think they can in the same way that I thought Arsenal could last season. Hmm. I thought, and and, and again, um, I, I, think, don't, I, I don't think, think Arsenal could well, last season. <laughs> but the, the, the thing, you know, like, one of the things that you know we Tom and I do in our jobs a lot is we have to kind of anticipate things further down the line and plan for them. And uh, and 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 I remember on the first of February, twenty twenty three. Uh, after the transfer window had closed, um, convening a meeting to start planning for the eventuality of Arsenal winning the league and what coverage we'd need to produce for that, because it would have been, you know, first time in twenty years and a and, and a and a very historic moment for the for the Premier League. And um and a, the, a, a colleague who works in another department in our building, um, that we have a little sign on the door, the little digital sign which tells you what the meeting's about. And he just looked at me and went, "Is it?" Is this a planning meeting for Arsenal winning the league? And I went, "Yeah, it is." And he was like, "I'm an Arsenal fan, so if we don't win the title now, it's your fault." <laughs> and uh, and but but the difference I've noticed with Spurs this season, and I know we're still far too early, and we're only ten games in, but I think I, I'm getting the sense that Spurs fans I know are enjoying this far more than Arsenal fans who were in the same similar position, in that they were going, "We're not going to win the league. We're not going to win the league." Stop talking about it. We're not top of the league. Man City are going to win it. And it's like part of me, and particularly I think this is because I'm a lower league football fan as well, um, you have to take the rough with the smooth and you have to enjoy the good times because you never know when the bad times are going to come again. And uh, and, and so I was just like, just enjoy it. You're top of the league, for goodness sake. But um, I think I think maybe because the, the, the underlying belief at Tottenham is not, you know, I think, I think they, they're just enjoying what's happening at the moment. I think... Um, the talk really hasn't got to whether they can win the league yet in there in 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 the Tottenham psyche yet. The two goals in this game showed everything that are good about Spurs, though. The first one, pressing really high, forcing a mistake, got to kick out of play, quick throw in, punished, goal. Mm. And the second one, sweeping back to front, move like incisive forward pass, big switch of play, forward runners, cross goal. It was like those two two aspects of the game, which you know, this is what you know makes the sort of conversation about Ten Hag and he's sort of coaching abilities and what we're not seeing on the pitch so difficult is like the the transformation in both those sides of the game in Tottenham's play has been remarkable by uh, because of Ange Postacoglu. But look, I still think he he looked at the player he looked at players who also were in the squad that weren't maybe getting opportunities like Basuma, mm. like Saar, and thought I have got some players who who can do this who are comfor- comfortable in the ball. I don't think just to go back to United, I don't think Ten Hag has that, so I don't think that's entirely fair. But and they also signed a magnificent centre half in, in Van de Ven, who they, which they needed desperately. Uh, so so those kind of key signings have worked so far too. Madison, outstanding. They've just made, hit the ground running. So everything has gone well so far. But City are a juggernaut. Yeah, always let's, have been. let's just enjoy it. Let's you, just enjoy. You it guys know I love stats and 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 random sort of coincidences in football history. And f- by absolutely by all means, cut this out if you think this is really boring. But <laughs> one thing that strikes me with Harry Kane leaving Spurs, and 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 it's interesting that that none of us until I've until I've decided to spout this nonsense, none of us have talked about. I'm Harry excited Kane's. for this. Um, but the but but you know, Jimmy Greaves arrived at Spurs the season after they had their double triumph 
and never ultimately went on to win the league with Tottenham. He won lots of other things, but he never won the league. Harry Kane, after eclipsing Jimmy Greaves' goal record, leaves the club and they finally win the title. I think that would be, there would be, you know, it would be an incredible Painful, symmetry. It? Spooky, <laughs> spooky, spooky. Um, there you go. Lots of positivity for Tottenham fans. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, you can get in touch with me to uh, complain about if we've not mentioned your team. Maybe you're an Arsenal fan who wants to have a go at me and James for jinxing you last season with that planning <laughs> meeting. Or maybe you're a Tottenham fan who just wants to get in touch and say, please, please, God, stop saying we're going to win the league and don't you dare have that planning meeting in February if you're still Tom. <laughs> uh, but you can get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Stick with us for the second part of the show. We'll be playing the second round of Can They Actually Win the Premier League? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined by James Restall, Gregor Robertson and Alison Rudd. Alison, you'll be particularly excited about this next segment because it's part two of Can They Actually Win the Premier League? And we're talking about Liverpool. 3-0 winners against Nottingham Forest. Different goal scorers, which you quite rightly pointed out in our Premier League season previews to one of the reasons why they could win the title. So fair play for that. But I'm not going to ask you first because I know I think I know what your answer is going to be. Gregor, hmm. Liverpool. They're fourth at the moment. Um, only lost once. As I say, lots of different goal scorers. Looks like Jurgen Klopp has lots of options in key positions. Can they win the Premier League chart? I think having, you know, after bigging up Spurs, I think probably the likelihood is they'll, they'll push City the closest. But my answer stays the same, I'm afraid. <laughs> closer than Arsenal. You think Liverpool after? Yeah, I think. I think in the end. I, look, and that's 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 a change in tack for me from the, from my view at the start of the season because I felt defensively they were going to struggle to keep out enough goals to, to challenge but I think a big thing is Virgil van Dijk has, appro- has returned to kind of something close to his best form uh, what he was before the injury and and I think that's been enormous and I think there's signs as well that they're kind of figuring out how to defend when Trent steps into midfield and you know I think having Kanati fit is a big boost as well to that obviously they've lost Andy Robertson um, but I I think the, the the midfield thing as well has been interesting too because Sabozlai has been has been outstanding. His sort of dynamism, his energy, that sort of inside right position where he can play in magnificent crosses. He can underlap as well. He's sort of combination with Salah, brilliant. He mm. sort of runs inside Salah often, uh, either to get to the byline or to kind of just to link play with him. Um, I'm still not entirely sure about McAllister at this sort of trying to be almost the foot of midfield and and. In games where his sort of defensive responsibilities are greater, um, but they're just so exciting going forward. A big part of that is sort of is Nunes, uh, as uh, Paul Joyce wrote in his piece today. Kind of, there's always been a great you know great faith at Anfield about 
about Nunes, despite you know some some rumblings from outside that he's not not a good enough finisher. He's not going to score enough goals, but he's scoring goals at a great rate. And and there's also signs of a good partnership with Salah. So very positive. I think there's a, a stat in Joyce's piece that it was the best start uh, at home uh, for Liverpool since since a season in the eighties. So. It's been a brilliant start, and if it wasn't, the only, their only loss is the, that is that game we referenced earlier against Spurs, which was yeah. obviously pretty controversial. So, yeah. yeah, they're they're in great shape. James, uh, yeah, I think I think they've they're, they're looking much stronger than they were last season. On, on Nunes, I think he really suffered from arriving at exactly the same time as Haaland because they just come off that season where they where Man City and Liverpool ran each other incredibly close again. Um, and and was and 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 I think it's just then Haaland scored a, a, a stupid number of goals in his first handful of games, and it kind of it, it, it you know it made the comparison look a bit redundant. And actually, he's uh, he's got so many good qualities. He, he runs so hard. like his pace is unbelievable. If I, defenders facing that, it must be an absolutely frightening prospect. But what they've added is that is 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 more creativity in midfield and. I think it's you could sort of perhaps a lazy argument to say if they'd signed Bellingham they'd be they'd be winning the league at a canter right now. But if they'd signed Bellingham they probably wouldn't have been able to sign um McAllister and Sabozloy and Gravenberch and Endo and, and and actually they've they've you know, I wouldn't say that midfield is greater than the sum of you know, greater than the sum of its parts necessarily and I wouldn't say it's better than having Jude Bellingham in the team, but um they are there feels like there's far more creativity from Liverpool now in midfield when it's always been quite an energetic midfield, but you're relying on the fullbacks to to create the chances and um, and also Salah has Salah has become more creative, I think, as well. I mean, we mm-hmm. did the piece ahead of ahead of the game um, yesterday, which which Paul wrote, which was which is the fact that that, that Salah is now um, he's, he's scoring just as many goals, but he's 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 contributing as well. Yeah, Alison, I'm not going to ask you can they win the Premier League title because I think I know your answer to that. Um, although feel free to com- correct me if you actually you've changed <laughs> your mind from pre-season, uh, pre-season preview. But I wanted to talk about those signings because that was part of the narrative of off-season. No, didn't get Jude Bellingham pulled out of the race for him. Didn't get Caicedo. Paul Joyce wrote a lot of pieces about potential worries around not get Jurgen Klopp not getting the players he wanted seems to have done all right doesn't he with the with mm. the crop that he's got as as a, as a fan as you are of those signings who have you been most impressed by and excited by oh dominic sabozlai i mean mm. i can't believe how young he is i he's sometimes it happens a player arrives and there wasn't much fanfare i mean 60 million i think he was but there wasn't much fanfare it was it was yeah no not some bolts midfielder yeah Probably a bit young, grow, grow into it. He'd also played on on the wing or out wide a lot for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it just didn't have the, and maybe that's helped him that there wasn't like huge amounts expected for him. He there was the feeling that it, he would grow into it, but he's 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 not needed to do that. He's just he just clearly loves being there. It just fits him beautifully and. I don't think he's given anything less than a seven and a half out of eight performance. Most of them are eight and a half, nine. Uh, astonishing, really. But I, I remember when we were all together after the, the the opening match of the season, and you, Tom, said to me uh, it was the draw at Stamford Bridge between Liverpool and Chelsea, and I said I thought Chelsea edged it in terms of they were the better team on the day, but there was so much more to come from Liverpool, and. I think what, rather than individuals, I'm very happy with the team, but more than individuals is this actual tangible sense that they are getting better with each passing minute. And they're even using the Europa League, which I was embarrassed that they qualified for, and I'd rather almost not watch it, really. (laughs) But um, they're using it to, instead of it just being a headache, you know, Thursday night, Sunday, it's awful. They're using it to make sure that the slightly more fringe players are getting uh, a chance to show what they can do. The energy levels are up at Anfield for the games. The, the travelling fans giving it something, even though they're probably slightly embarrassed as well that it's not the Champions League. And it's the, the fact that you can use that, that, that blighted Thursday-Sunday thing to your advantage and add to the momentum of the season so that when you come to the, the league game following, you feel like there's so much 
that can come off the bench for Liverpool. They're starting to knit patterns together. And every time I've watched them, no matter how well they have played, I've thought, oh, they're going to be better next week. That is the main reason they could win the title. So there you go. Tottenham thinking they can win matches and Liverpool getting better all the time. Maybe we're going to have a four, five team title race after all. Um, Gregor, I wanted to ask about Nottingham Forest, not a team that we've mentioned a great deal this season so far, so apologies to Nottingham Forest fans. But your former team, of course, lost Brennan Johnson, as we talked about that now, a Tottenham superstar. How do you think they're faring 10 games in? 10 points from 10 games? You know, they've got it, the, the, the chat around them has gone a little bit more quiet, whereas this time last season. We were talking about Cooper, all the millions of signings they'd made, all the money they've spent, how dysfunctional it was. That'll suit them a bit more, won't it, for, to have the attention not, not on them as much? Yeah, they've looked, they've looked much more kind of accomplished actually, despite you know possibly they would have hoped of of uh, accrued more points by now. But they've had quite a difficult start as well, actually. Um, kind of goals is my is maybe my worry. I know you know Chris Wood, I think, came off. Um, was it Dominguez who missed it? He kind of seemed to trip over his feet when Gibbs White squared a past him. They just, I'm still not sure there's there's quite the firepower there, but they look like they've got a solid platform. And a lot of the time it's been, you know, it was a, a pretty bad mistake by Murillo, uh, Murillo kind of dribbling out of defence. You, you know, you can't you can't be too harsh on that when you saw what he did against, I think it was against Palace, when he ran like the length of the pitch and <laughs> mazed through everyone and almost very nearly scored. He's obviously uh, got a bit of a bit of flair about him um, but that that obviously put Nottingham Forest on the back foot uh, badly but I just think they've got a good they've got a pretty kind of well established structure now um, you know back three wing backs uh, pretty much four four in front of them so out of possession they're quite they're quite hard to break down I think and um, you know, it's, it's, it might sound daft saying that after they just lost 3-0 but I think they have got that good solid platform. I just and they've got pace going forward. Even you know they have lost Brennan Johnson. Alanga has looked dangerous at times. Gibbs White is is uh, you know I think he possibly is someone who could be knocking on the door of an England call up. Um, I'm just not entirely sure that they've got the firepower still. The one he's obviously had a, had a great a great run of goal scoring, but I still I think over the, f- the length of a season I think that that's still going to be their weakness. That's the only reason. I still think I think they'll be quite. Not comfortable. I think they'll be in a group of probably six or eight teams who are, uh, you know, maybe have a cushion over what is this season looking like. It's going to be maybe three, three, maybe four teams that are that are uh, that are quite a way back. I think they're going to be in that kind of bunched group of teams above them. Uh, they'll never be comfortable, but I think that I think they're going to be safe this season. I'd hope that leads what you said there about the. The fact that the relegation battle it does look now like the it's it's the three promoted teams plus one after ten games, it it, it does feel like I just hope that chairman back their managers for those clutch of teams that are above the relegation zone at the moment, and I hope that this the fact that the promoted teams have started so badly um, just gives gives well puts a little bit of patience into chairman's minds because. You know, it is. You know, we we know the owner at Forest. Um, uh, we we know he can be a bit volatile, and um, you know, there's there's often there's often talk whenever Forest have a bad run of results about, oh, you know, not not because Cooper should be sacked, but there there you know Cooper's job is often often talked about as one that could be under threat, and so I, I just I just really hope that you know, he's clearly building something good there. I, I hope that um, we might we might see a season where there are fewer sackings. Yeah, we will see. Another team that perhaps falls into that category and also has 10 points from 10 games is Everton. They beat uh, West Ham with a goal from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I just wanted to focus on him because I was watching this game. It wasn't the best game, wasn't the most entertaining game, so that's why I'm only going to focus on one topic. And I found myself thinking back to recent discussions we've had around Ivan Tony and Ollie Watkins. And is I just wanted to ask... I'll start with you, James. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, is he just injuries and fitness away from being in that group of players who are fighting it out to be Harry Kane's understudy mm, I think so and and he was in that he was in pole position for that going into the last European Championship um, I think uh, his best his best season was when he was playing under Carlo Ancelotti and Carlo Ancelotti said just be in Zaghi and attack 
between the between the posts and getting the six yard box and try and score in those positions. And I think if he gets the service and he he's got those brilliant instincts to do that, um, he's already he's already now scored more goals than he did last season. Mm. So it was a brilliant two, finish so. as well, wasn't it? I, yeah. I found myself watching this game also thinking, God, West Ham could do with a fit Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Mm. That make make them look like a complete team. Gregor, would you agree with James's yeah. assessment? He's also a dream for for Sean Dyche because. There was another example where uh, Brantwaite, who was really impressive, mm. just played a long forward ball. You could hardly even call it a diagonal forward ball. It was just a forward ball that Dominic Calvert-Lewin runs onto, jumps. He's going to jump anyone, win that, mm. flicked it on, and Onana was through and almost added the second. So like, the, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin is in their team, the ability to just do that, go forward, win flick-ons, get bodies forward, that's like an absolute dream for Sean Dyche. But he also has that kind of moment of quality that we saw. The, his little turn on the edge yeah. of the box is brilliant. Uh, and it's always been a bit of fitness with him. Sort of like an old school Harry Kane goal, that. Sort mm. of turning the defender and, and, and getting a shot away. Like that's what Kane used to, when Kane first came on the scene, that was kind of what he, that's, that was what he, what his, what his style was. Yeah, absolutely. It was a Sean Dyche masterclass to get that win. Um, discussing Everton, of course, it was their first game. Uh, since the sad death of uh, Bill Kenwright, their chairman. And Alison, you wanted to share a story with us about Bill Kenwright. Well, I just wanted to uh, share how I met him because it was, I think, lovely. Um, so the year is 1998, start of the 98-99 season. And I am travelling from London to Goodison for a match on a Saturday. And in those days, you could pay a tenner to go first class extra. That's all it took. And you would, it, honestly, trains were on time. They really were. And uh, I'd often get a carriage to myself, even though the train was going to Liverpool and there was a game on. Very strange. So I settled into first class on my own and had all the Saturday papers to peruse. And it was going to be a lovely, relaxing journey with my hot chocolate and everything. Very happy. And then suddenly, just before the train pulled away my carriage filled up with people that all looked very familiar uh, I recognised Bill Kenwright and he had all these lovies with him because of course he's a theat- he was a theatre impresario as well so I don't know some people won't know these names but Angus Dayton he used oh, to present have I got news to you Jimmy Mulville who's famous for owning Hattrick Productions but he used to appear on panel shows various other comedians of that era I thought well, I'm not going to I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to acknowledge that I know who they are. I'll just carry on reading my paper. Anyway, after about 15 minutes, Bill Kenwright leans over. He said, I'm terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry to interrupt you. He said, but I am absolutely intrigued. You are a woman. I've never seen a young woman sat reading the sports pages of all the papers before. (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Are you going to the match? And I said, uh, I said, yes, I am. I am going to the match. He said, oh, who, 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 which player are you dating? I said, oh, oh well, I, I'm, I'm not dating anyone. Is, is it, are you, are you with one of the, are you married to one of the coaches? No, 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 I'm not. So they, they all started saying, well, why are you going to the game? So I said, well, maybe you can work it out. Why don't you try and work out why I'm going to Goodison Park? You're an Everton fan. No, no, I'm not an Everton fan. Oh, the opposition. I can't remember who the opposition was. You're a fan of the opposition? No, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of them either. Well, why are you going to the game then? I said, we'll see if you can guess. Honestly, it took them an hour. This is sexism in the 90s. It took them an hour with a lot of hints from me that I was a journalist. journalist. Um, Anyway, that broke the ice, obviously, and uh, we were all chatting away. It was a lovely, lovely trip. We all got on incredibly well. And uh, Bill Kenwright said to me, "Um, well, uh, how are you getting from the station to Goodison? I said, well, I'll, I'll probably just try and get a cab or whatever. He said, no, no, I'm getting a, I've got a car. Come in my car. Well, I'll take you to the ground. I said, well, that's really nice. So we came out at the the, the station, Lime Street, and his mu- his mum was waiting for him. <laughs> he was 54 at this point. His mum was waiting for him. And he said, mum, this is, this is Alison. And she gave me a huge hug and gave me a kiss. I thought, the Kenwright family are just so lovely. <laughs> And we got into the car together and he, she went, you're his new girlfriend, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm not. And she was so disappointed. She was obviously desperate for him to get married and meet, meet a girlfriend who was Jenny Seagrove, actually. And it was a secret at the time. It wasn't me. And then we got out the car and he was, these were the days when 
he was on the cusp of taking over and he was popular and it's so lovely to remember that he was beloved mm. once and the fans were coming up to him and they just wanted to touch him and say Bill we love you and they loved the fact he loved the club and I can say that his love for Everton was utterly sincere they they lit up his life and he would have laid his life down for them and I think it's appalling that a whole section of fans don't didn't really understand that what that, that was a lovely story I was a bit worried in the sexism bit actually. <laughs> yeah. I, thought, where, I thought where are we going we're supposed to be paying tributes to Bill Ken right here <laughs> you've lulled me in with saying it's a lovely story and actually you're going to stick two feet in but no that was a lovely story Alison thank you very much for sharing it now to finish today's show I promised the funnest of all fun games we've had loads so far but this is a final one and it's to be honest guys it's to help me settle the debate sometimes you know I do endless research for this show look at stats like James does Sometimes I just nick debates off my mates. And one of them that they've been having for a long time is about Jude Bellingham. Scored twice, of course, uh, this weekend in Real Madrid's win against Barcelona. And he and Harry Kane are the subject of Martin Samuel's column that you can read online. Now, Bellingham and Kane are the best 9 and 10 in Europe. Rejoice, we're going to win the Euros. That bit on the end I've kind of added in my pro Gareth Southgate bit. But Martin saying that we must uh, focus on this positive and Gareth Southgate must find a way of getting them in the team. But my game comes back to England and my pals and their firm belief that Jude Bellingham is the most exciting young English player ever. And my contention is that that title goes to Wayne Rooney. So, basically, I'm handing it over to you guys to either help me out and prove that I'm right and it is Wayne Rooney or someone else of your choosing or that Jude Bellingham, particularly in light of his start to the season at Real Madrid where he is now the man, is he the most exciting English player ever? I'm going to start with a Scott. Gregor? <laughs> <laughs> this is very difficult. I, I, I played against Wayne Rooney once in an FA Youth Cup game uh, when I was at Nottingham Forest, and he was he might have been 15, actually. Or maybe 15? maybe 16. Wow. He was obviously playing... In fact, it was a few months before he scored that goal against Arsenal, mm. uh, you know, to announce himself. And he, he scored a bicycle kick in our game. He was shooting from, like, 30 yards... I remember, I remember once the goalkeeper kicking it long, and I was like, we had a corner. I think I was back, and goalkeeper kicking it long, and he, it was looping, in, looping in the air, and he trapped it with the outside of his foot and spun me in one movement, and I was like, what the hell is going on here? It was jarring. It was like he was rattling shots that that were like leaving the crossbar shuddering. This sixteen-year-old kid, and it was like, <sighs> you know what I mean? It mm. was, and we've all seen that. We all saw that in Rooney. So Rooney was impactful in that way, in like a jarring like street fighter like Tasmanian devil kid yeah. <laughs> that's what Rain Rooney was Jude, Jude Bellingham is is like imperious he's like a leader already at what is he is he 19 or 20 I don't even know 20. he's 20 now he's a leader and he bends any game that he plays into his will the biggest games in the world World Cup games the classical any game he can bend it to his will but it's in a different way so, like, I guess so. You're 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 heading the argument down a very sophisticated one, but mm -hmm. the suggestion that which which you find more exciting, and I guess my point is that I find Tasmanian Devil more exciting than the Imperious. But I, that that's what I would I, say is more. I did. I did. Gripping, I, I, gripping I, yeah. and grabbing. I agree. I agree. I would. I found Rooney more like thrilling, but I actually think Jude Bellingham could be more impactful. I've always always used that word when I speak about him because ultimately it doesn't matter how you impact the game. It's the fact that you do it, like you know. It's like you see. Remember, Steven Gerrard got like pilloried for for uh, chastising young players who are just doing stepovers all the time, but but not actually doing anything. Remember, there was a kind of bit of a mm. pushback against that when he said it once. He's absolutely right. He's right, and like people might like step stepovers and frivolity and stuff, and it's that's part of the joy of football. But football is about what you do to help your team win, and no one does it. I don't think there's anyone on the planet that does it as much as Jude Bellingham now and I think possibly you could do it more than Wayne Rooney when we look back on, the, on both of their careers so I, I my point my, my, my kind of end point to that is, is that you're Rooney was no no <laughs> Rooney was more thrilling yeah but I think Jude Bellingham could end up being more influential interesting James you obviously similar age to me grew mm. up through the kind of Wayne Rooney uh, period of the mm. bursting onto the scene also we also witnessed Michael Owen of course for a brief period incredibly exciting mm. Now as a journalist, Jude Bellingham, is that perhaps my 
my blindness is that is it because I'm a journalist I can't get as excited as I did about Wayne Rooney. It's, yeah, it's interesting because it's it's I think like watching Bellingham for England now it's he's get he's he's making everyone else better and that's just like, even even Harry Kane he's making he's making Harry Kane better because he's getting on the end of balls that Harry Kane is playing or vice versa. Um, and I agree with your point completely, Gregor. It's like it's the exciting thing is that it's almost it's almost unseen what he does. It's like it's the he just gets he get, he's getting more out of everyone else, um, and that's his star quality. Um, what I I think I, I wrote down a number of names from uh, the, to, to discuss before my time, Gaza, because I think that lots of people, um, generation above me, always talk about Gaza bursting yep. on the scene as one of the most exciting, amazing things. Um, I, I also wrote down I also wrote down Theo Walcott, not because he I, I'm going to make any claim that he was the most exciting player in the world at the time, but I just remember that like mystique around Arsenal have just signed this 16 year old kid who's going to be the best player in the world, and then he gets thrown into that World Cup squad. Obviously, he didn't reach those heights, still produced some brilliant moments, um, but I, I in terms I'm trying to I'm trying to think about this in terms of the hype at the time. Mm. Um, I remember the Rooney goal against Arsenal really well because that was like one of the I think that was the first or second season I really got into football and it was and be it going to watch Orient I remember we sort of had a Premier League team that we followed and it was just mainly to the you know didn't get too badly bullied at school <laughs> and, uh, and 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 Arsenal were the double winners at that time and so uh, I got quite invested in Arsenal's success as well and um I just remember them. I remember him doing that against Arsenal and ending their unbeaten start to the season, and purely thinking this guy must be good because he's just beaten Arsenal and he's 16 years old. And then going into that Euros that summer, thinking we're going to win the Euros because this kid is the best player in the world at the moment. Um, I think probably it always helps being adult and a bit more sophisticated in in thinking now, or I like to think so anyway. Debate, um, anyway. <laughs> but I I I I don't think any of those players we've discussed are doing what Bellingham is doing now, and I think that's why. So I th- you're more excited I, by Bellingham. I'm more excited by Bellingham because I because I think he truly like I I texted um, I texted someone on when I saw that Kane had scored from the halfway line and that Bellingham had scored too. I, I texted someone straight away and went we're winning the Euros now that's it <laughs> and that person texted back going Jay Pickford H Maguire and I was like let's not get to that let's not get to that no no I think I think I, I, do I I guess I guess the answer a quick answer to the question is do I feel like England can win it do I have the most belief that England can win a major tournament yes because of because of Jude because Bellingham, of Jude Bellingham. Yeah. right it's one all Alison Rudd over to you well, I think and you, you can feel free to pick Gaza, of course, or anyone else, yeah. the most exciting English yeah, player. No, I think it's. I think if there's a reason that there isn't quite the visceral excitement about Bellingham that there was, say, with Rooney, is is that this is a player who's gone from Dortmund to Madrid. It's he, there's a distance there. Hmm. We only we only see him for, when he's playing for England. Really, I mean. M- most football fans don't tune into all the games abroad. They don't, and so they just hear the, the highlight reel, maybe, or they're told. And it's just not quite as obvious, I think, to younger fans now that he is as exciting for England as 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 he no doubt will be. And I am very impressed by him. But it's hard to have that flutter, that fluttering excitement about someone you don't see regularly enough to feel like you know them or mm. get, really see their personality I mean Wayne Rooney's personality he bore his heart on his sleeve you knew what he was about I think it's I don't think we know Jude Bellingham as a person particularly imperious is, is a good word for, and it's an, a strange one for one so young but I don't think there's that sense that we know him very well and I think we're probably overlooking slightly just how exciting Michael Owen was when he burst onto yeah. the scene mm. I mean he had everything because he was so so fast and ruthless, a wonderful way of opening up his body to score goals. Couldn't uh, fill his strip. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he was like a little boy. He did. He did. He did. He was. He was. He was astonishing. And I did ruin my sister's um, wedding rehearsal dinner because I got a phone call from the desk saying, "Would you like to go on uh, have some volleying lessons from Michael Owen?" And I screamed very loudly. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to be playing football with Michael <laughs> Owen. And of course, that's all anyone wanted to talk about. And then I looked over and my sister was looking quite angry when it was supposed <laughs> to be about her and not me. Understandable. Yes. So I, I would say, in terms of just my memory of it, um, the actual feeling that England were going to be in a good place because of one player, it it was what Michael Owen could could do, and didn't did and indeed did, did do. He did do. But out of Rooney and Bellingham, though, out of those two, oh, is is it about those two? Yeah, for I me, because I need to settle an argument with my friends. If you thought this was an educated, <laughs> football okay, no, debate, I, would, I would, I would, I would, I would say Rooney. I, I think, I think yes. the flaw, the flaw in this whole debate, though, is that we know what happened next to all those players, and we don't know what's going to happen next with you, Bellingham, and and the like. You do. We're going to win the Euros. You've just yeah, told us. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but it, but in terms of you know, we, we we're looking at a guy who's twenty years old and is at the point when we were all excited about all these other players, and so. You know, we we, ne- we have no idea how f- what football's going to hold. And yes, he is. Yes, he yes he is amazing. And he's and he's. I, I still think what he's doing at that at that age is better than what the others were doing. But you know, it, it's kind of at the moment it, you can only. I, I think you can only really judge him in you know ten years time. It's to a, be honest, it's all about it's all about what the certainty about how how good he's going to be for the rest mm. of his career is is because of his mindset. It's mm. like, and th- again, that's another sort of point of difference between him and Rooney. Rooney was like. I don't know, like really bullish and like you know, angry. You know, he would he'd go out and smash smash a thirty four year old two and a half who was twice the size of him. Bellingham is like, it's like it's just so composed and calm and confident and absolutely certain that he belongs on the biggest stage in the world at that age and can win the game for his team. That's absolutely priceless. Well, we'll see if Jude Bellingham can prove me wrong. But lads, if you're listening, for what it's worth, it's two one Rooney. So if you can't use, <laughs> if you can't use a podcast to settle and debate with your mates, what what is it good for? Uh, Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd, James Restle, thank you very much for joining me. We'll be back on Thursday with more fun games, maybe, and we'll be settling some more scores too. Thanks for listening. Do you want part two of the Bill Kenwright story? There's another part two. You know, people like a little bonus at the end, don't they, Neil? Do Go they? on then. <laughs> part two, Bill Kenwright. Uh, so that was a lovely way to meet Bill Kenwright and to thank him for the lift to the st- the stadium. I said, would you like me to get a theatre analogy into my match report? <gasps> would you really do that for me? <laughs> yeah, it's easy. I'll do that. And it is easy to put a theatre analogy into a football match. It was a three-act play. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and so I did. And he was so delighted. He invited me to the premiere of some West End show and the after-show party with Judy Dench. And I became a lovey briefly myself. There you go. I didn't know whether that story was actually meant to be in the podcast or whether because I'd said thanks for listening, you were actually telling us something a little bit secretive. That were, but so who knows whether this makes it or not. But either way, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a fun, uh, fun game for me to find out when I listen to this show back. Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, and James Restall, thanks for joining me and thanks for listening to. We'll be back on Thursday. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.